0: Everybody and welcome to another episode of the Trans Questioning Podcast. I'm your host Sarah, and today I'm going to be talking about some stuff. I guess did you did you know that that's what podcasts are? Did you know that that's what we do? We talk about stuff here on podcasts where we speak into a microphone. So it is November thirteenth, year of our gracious Lord, 2018, at 11:23 a.m. Interesting. 2 days ago was the 100 year anniversary of the armistice which ended uh which began the end of World War 1. We had the midterms which I'm going to be talking about a bit. Uh it's been an interesting few weeks, hasn't it? So in my so-called emergency podcast, I did a lot of uh sadness and terror and misery and feeling defeated, you know, I was uh, a little teary-eyed, a little uh, a little overwhelmed by the state of the state today. <laughs> but actually things are going pretty good, I think, all things considered. I mean, they're not great. You know, we still have the president we have. Our government is still not good. <laughs> um, we still live under capitalism. So, that's a problem, but, you know, we gotta take our little victories where we can get them. So, uh, what's on the docket for today's episode? I'm gonna be talking about some good news, some uh, little little, little little bits of bad news, I'll probably reverse the order on that, so we take our uh, sour pill and then we wash down with a nice bit of good pill, I guess. You don't tend to uh, taste pills, generally speaking. Whatever, that's fine. I'm going to be answering a couple of reader questions or addressing some reader. It's weird to call them reader questions sometimes because a lot of times people just write in with their life story. And uh, there are things that I want to talk about within that, but don't it's not a question, really. But, you know, to address it. I'm going to be talking about some reader thoughts sure. And then I'm going to talk about an exciting upcoming life event and some projects that I'm working on. It's going to be a whole thing. I've actually got like an organizational plan. I could have just said a plan. A plan implies organization, doesn't it? You wouldn't guess that I have an organizational plan based on how poorly I am uh, stringing my vocabulated words together into a group now i'm just trying hard also i apologize if you can hear me sort of rustling around in this uh, little comfy blanket that i got here because i tend to gesticulate with my hands a lot uh that's just something that i don't know how to not do a lot of times and i'm covered in a blanket which makes a lot of fuzzy noise and that's because it's fucking 20 degrees outside here in uh oklahoma here in god's country uh we had a bit of a freeze overnight. It's been kind of cold. Windchill is 7 degrees. This state can go to hell. I like the cold. I'm a fan of the cold. 7 degrees is not a temperature that should be allowed to exist. We should just get rid of it. Just throw it all in the dumpster. <laughs> So a more professional podcast you know you would uh, take off the blanket and demand complete silence and sit perfectly still and speak in a good tone and just be real you know sound isolated and whatever but uh, this this blanket's an electric blanket and there's not a chance in hell I'm taking it off because it's cold and you know I have to t- to turn off the heat for, for audio so uh, yeah if, if you got a problem with that, um, go listen to, what's another podcast? Uh, go listen to Serial. They do good audio, I think. Sometimes. Haven't listened in a while, but I'm sure they do. I know they got that season three going. Anyway, I've got a, got a lot to get to today. I'm going to stop rambling here. So first, here's a bit of bad news. It's not bad so much as it is just fucking stupid. There is a Dutch man by the name of Emil Rast- Rattleband. Uh, I'm certain that I did not pronounce that correctly, Uh, who was born in 1969 or no, he was born in 1949. But he is wanting to uh, (laughs) legally change his age to 49 uh, because he identifies as 20 years younger than he is, because that's a thing. I guess. Uh, Apparently he's a former daytime TV host. That's weird. But yeah, he wants his birthday to be pushed back. He wants to be... (laughs) Uh, So this is from The Independent uh, in the UK. So here's just the, the slug line. A Dutch man's trying to legally change his age from 69 to 49 with the aim of boosting his online dating prospects. Ugh. Oh, wow. Um, so here's a fun quote. You can change your name. You can change your gender. Why not your age? Nowhere are you so discriminated against as with your age. So I don't want to stick on this for too long because this is silly. Um, and the only, but the only reason why I'm talking about it at all is that this is the kind of thing that uh, turfs like to roll out and they say, see, see, this whole thing is like, this is the same as was being transgender. And it is not. It's, it's not. It isn't. It's not the same. There's, um, first of all surface level, just obvious problem with this. He's transparently vocally stating that he's doing this for vote for, 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 for dating prospects. He wants his, his, his age to be younger on, on, on his birth. What? So that people will think he's younger and they will date him. And, and, and he identifies as, as younger. And, uh, uh, oh, father of seven? Jesus Christ, uh, who describes himself as a young god. So, mm, if I'm 49 with that face of mine, I'll be in a luxurious position. Oof. Oof Oofta. So let's give the transphobes what they want and compare the the, (laughs) identifying as younger than you are with uh, being transgender. Um, Getting your name legally changed uh, as a transgender person is uh, very important in a number of ways. It helps keep you from being misgendered in public spaces or legally. So, you know, going to the bank or... You know, buying things at the store and I need to check your ID, getting paperwork filled out, getting a house in your name, making sure things. I uh, had a family member contact me earlier uh, in the week to ask about um, they're basically setting up like a a a will with with my name attached and uh, they wanted to clarify, like, what's your legal name? Because we've got to make sure that that's settled. And I do plan on legally changing my name eventually. I want to wait until um, I am more socially transitioned, which is my personal choice. But uh, that is something that I will have to address. And there's a couple of other things like that that I will have to address. Like there's very specific legal things involved in uh, in in getting your name legally changed if that's the route that you're going. But it's it's... Not just that, like, those are all side effects of the system that we have. There's just the fact that, like, when people call me Sarah, it's like, oh, that's me. Oh, I'm, I'm Sarah. I feel good about myself. I am glad to be Sarah. And when people don't call me that now, I feel distinctly uncomfortable and uh, a little bit miffed, if I may say so. Uh, a bit of, you know, just a touch... Just a touch miffed. Excuse my language there, but, you know, real, real, real dang, real dang miffed. I'm belaboring this joke way too long. But this is a person who's 69, nice, and who wants to be 49 just for the sake of dating. There's no... It's not comparable. It's not comparable. There's no... There's no... The other thing is that, like, okay, so there's the biological element, right? And this gets into hairy territory because a lot of people like to say, oh, but you're born biologically male, and that's just a fact. Like, there's no getting around that. But the fact is that age is biological in a very specific way, not by number, right? Like, the number is arbitrary, that's just based on the Earth's rotations around the sun. That has nothing to do with anything. It's just an arbitrary yardstick that we've applied to the average lifespan of a human being. But aging is a fixed process, at least now. Like, the decay of your telomeres is just sort of a thing that it that happens. And... At this point in time, there's no like procedure that you can undergo which changes y- your age and like changing your name and paperwork. I mean, that's not gonna do anything, right? I mean, I won't, I- I'm not gonna downplay ageism as a thing though, because I'm very aware of the fact that people who are. older uh do face a lot of difficulty in the world that is very specific to being older and especially today we live in a world that fetishizes youth and you know as somebody who is 29 and rapidly approaching the age of 30 it's it's ridiculous that you know i'm about to turn 30 and it feels like 30 is the end of my life when it's like it's it's hopefully the end of the first third you know but it's just dumb it's dumb if people pull this up just like, it's dumb it's dumb don't let them use this as evidence against you just don't even i'm 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 probably fucking up just by gratifying this story with my time but i just find it to be so ridiculous that it, it's worth it's it's worth highlighting but oh god i'm so distracted there's a video ad that's just playing on repeat on this web page that is like a car commercial, but it's set up like a Bob Ross thing. And it's just, can, can I just, can I just complain real quick, just real quick? Fucking when did web design return to the nineties? Right now I have three separate banner ads that are the same banner ad, plus two auto playing video ads that appear after each fucking paragraph of this news article. The sidebar is like cluttered with not even stories from this website, promoted stories that are just like fake. I just I can't stand it. It's it's so bad. Okay, going to move on to the second bit of tra- of uh, uh, bad news and this one is actually like real sad. And this is a uh, content warning just for mention and discussion of suicide. So, after uh, the uh, the previously mentioned um, uh, memo that transgender people don't exist as a distinct class of people uh, that I talked about in the emergency episode and also the episode previous to that, um, apparently calls to transgender suicide, this particular transgender suicide hotline, uh, let's see, bu- 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 bu, uh, uh, quadrupled? Is that right? That can't be right. That seems... That seems like a huge increase, but I think it's, yep, yep, quadrupled. Wow, our heartline has gotten two times the normal number of first-time callers and has gotten four times the number of total callers. That's pretty fucked up. So, I bring this up because, for, for two reasons. The first is to say, uh... I've seen people argue that this memo doesn't really affect anybody. It's, you know, it's just a thing. It's whatever. Like, yeah, it's f- but but, you know, legal distinctions don't actually harm. It. It's, you know, just deal with it. It's fine. It's fine. But it's not fine. This sort of thing, like it's a it's a it's psychological trauma. It's something that affects you mentally. And this is something that I went into quite a lot in my uh, uh, emergency episode is is the weight of these things. Psychologically, they have a, they, they they affect you just by virtue of it being something that is coming from the office of the president, it doesn't matter if it actually results in any actual action. It doesn't matter if anything really comes of it. It's still a thing that's getting national attention that a lot of people support because they believe that people like me and people probably like a lot of you who are listening don't exist or don't deserve civil fucking rights. So that's that's. This is just general proof that, yeah, a lot of people are pretty fucking affected by it. But here's the other thing that I think is like the upside, is that the trans lifeline exists. And this is quadruple the number of people uh, previously who are calling into this hotline instead of doing something else, instead of hurting themselves or, or worse. So... It's it's really important, I think, to not get lost in the fact of like this is this is awful and it's affecting people. It is awful. It is affecting people. I need to fucking do something about it. But also think fuck that resources exist. And this is you can just call the trans lifeline. It's just, it, it, it exists. It's just, it's just there. It's, you can call it at any point in time. I'm actually going to open it up right the fuck now and let you know what their number is. Yes. Uh, trans lifeline. There's that's uh, for trans folks, the USA phone number is 877-565-8860. The Canada number is 877-330-6366. And you know what? I'm going to put that in the description of this video. And or this podcast, good night. Uh, and I should probably put that in just the description of every episode, shouldn't I? I'm gonna do that from now on. Uh, make a little note here, Trans Lifeline. Yes, these resources exist and they are good and they help people, and we need to celebrate them and support them because this is, you know, a not for profit thing that operates for free. So if you got some money, go to slash donate and go donate. Uh, Later on, I'm going to promote my Patreon, uh, where you can give me money, and I would appreciate you being able to give me money. I'm, you know, a little little strapped for cash, as always, but uh, I would say that the trans lifeline is a little bit more important in the grand scheme of things, although it's not a contest. So the message there, of course, is that despite the fact that the, the government wants us to cease to exist... We're not doing that, and we support each other, and uh, uh, there are resources available for us, and are, uh, we're visible. And that brings us to some good news. I'm going to close these fucking tabs. So last week, we had the midterms, the 2018 midterms, and these were pretty high stakes because the uh, Republican Party Uh, has had control of all three branches of government for uh, a couple years now. Uh, Arguably, has had control of the government for a lot longer, thanks to uh, uh, neoliberal capitulation. It's great. Our government's wonderful. Now, of course, there was a lot of talk about a blue wave going into the midterms, and some really dumb stuff happened right up before the election where uh, there was the appointment of Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court, which was fucking heinous. And somehow, a lot of the figureheads of the Republican Party managed to turn that into uh, supportive propaganda, as in, ah, uh, these Democrats are fucking what per- 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 persecuting men. And the, anyway, it's uh, it was a little frightening that uh, after that sort of line of argument that the Republican Party started pulling up and then there is scaremongering about the fucking caravan headed towards our southern border, uh, which also apparently had some effect on polling numbers. I, I don't have time. To, uh, to rant about that. But suffice it to say that if you're worried about a fucking caravan, you are looking in the wrong direction. And um, uh, I will also just point out real quick that um, while uh, illegal Im- illegal immigrants, while undocumented immigrants do not have, uh, do not pay um, income taxes, they do pay sales tax. And that means that they pay a higher proportion of their total income to taxes to the United States government than the wealthiest people in our country. So, uh, yeah, they are not... They're not leeches. They do a lot of labor that we don't want to do as citizens of this country who are a little bit privileged, a little little milk-fed. Also, they're fucking human beings. Okay, I said I wasn't going to rant about this, but stop hating immigrants. This is old. This is dumb. We've done—everybody does this. Everybody blames—God, I'm doing it anyway— Everybody blames immigrants for problems when the problem is too complicated to to shorten into a sentence. But if somebody's telling you, actually, no, it's the immigrants, they're fucking wrong. They're fucking bigots. Get rid of them. Throw them out of your life. You can't prove them wrong. They don't deserve your time or money. Just fucking get rid of them. Just throw them in the trash where they belong. Anyway, moving on. I'm not going to apologize for ranting in favor of immigrants, but we got to move on. So first, some context. Uh, Let's see. So we had the... um, 2014 midterm elections uh which was you know the midterms in Obama's second term so uh 36.4% of eligible voters uh voted in 2014's midterm elections and uh yeah that's uh, that was a historic low apparently that was uh the the lowest voter turnout in a midterm in 72 years so we have the 2018 midterms, and yeah, historically, midterms are bad uh, in terms of turnout. We tend to focus mostly on presidential elections um, and just say, yeah, it's whatever, even though local, uh, local elections are where most of the actual work that impacts you comes from. Uh, and I will admit to being one of these people, it's been very recently, uh, since Trump became president, that I really have started to pay attention to these kinds of things. Um, And regardless of the fact that I wasn't as engaged as I should have been prior, uh, I'm engaged now and it seems as though quite a few people also are. So in the 2018 midterms, 49.2% of eligible voters voted. 49%. Forty-nine percent of the electorate voted in midterm elections, non-presidential elections. Uh, that this is the most, uh, this is the highest particip- participation rate for a midterm since nineteen fourteen. Over a hundred years literally incredibly historic and these votes are still being counted and this is a thing that I've only just become aware of and it's like obvious now that I see it but uh, uh, there's a lot of talk about like there have been a number of uh, districts that have swung further to the left uh, after last Tuesday because of uh, some some recounts but also just, ballots being counted absentee ballots being counted um there's uh, so apparently and again this should have been obvious to me the uh, estimates that come in uh, on the tuesday of the election they they are just estimates based on uh, uh, like the preliminary counting, and that actually vote counting goes on for a long time, which makes sense because a lot of people vote, even when there's a low voter voter turnout. There's a pretty there's a lot of people in this fucking country, and you know, our maybe our election boards aren't as well funded as they uh, as they could be. I just want to I just want to I I need to return to forty nine percent, fucking forty nine. This is this is despite the fact that there is widespread voter disenfranchisement. There's so much they've been purging voter rolls. They've been uh, essentially creating poll taxes by way of voter I.D. laws. Uh, there are people who are wanting to get rid of fucking early voting or absentee voting. Um, there's just been a lot of like attempts by the right to delegitimize the process of voting. There are people out out now on Fox News saying that like it's a problem that so many people vote. That's not Democratic. And if you support that. You might be. You might. You might. You might be one of the bad guys. Just, just a suggestion there. Just saying. So obviously, Democrats did not take the Senate, but we did take the House. So we've got a branch of government in our favor. Um, and so you know, there was the expectation of the blue wave, and a lot of folks now have been like, oh, well, it was actually kind of underwhelming, and it actually wasn't it was actually incredible obviously in terms of numbers uh literally historic but here's the other thing and this is by way of uh 538 i believe no slate this is by way of slate i, I had a 538 article pulled up but i closed it well the democrats did not take a whole whole lot of seats and a whole whole lot of places although there are a number of uh surprise uh Surprise candidates, including in my state of Oklahoma. Uh, hooray for, excuse me, for just a second. Here in Oklahoma's 5th District, Kendra Horn, Democrat, won by a margin of uh, 50.7% over 493 Now here's the deal, is that Democrats have actually pulled up in uh, basically everywhere where, uh, just in places where Trump won by, by a lot in 2016. Now, a lot of these places were highly contested elections that were in the middle, but it's important to remember that previously these were like, uh, 70% Republican, you know? So while on the surface, there were not a lot of victories statistically, actually, I'm not sure why I put the emphasis on the T there. Uh the the margin has pushed a the people have people have moved quite a bit to the left. Um now the 538 article that I closed that I'm just remembering now why it was relevant is uh, does point out that um uh men in general seem to have pushed a little further to the right, while women in general have pushed quite a bit further to the left. So that's um that's both unsurprising, but also disappointing, because um, of course, of course, in in this year of our gracious Lord, twenty eighteen, the most persecuted minority minority is the uh, cishet white male. So uh, yeah, they gotta they gotta 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 push right for the party that supports their civil right to say the n word on television, and um not have to say uh different pronouns to trans people i'm gonna post a link to a couple of these different things in the description of this podcast um but now here's just a couple of quick little great results in uh, colorado house house district 27 brianna titone it was titone i don't know how to pronounce her name i apologize brianna titone i guess uh was elected uh, she's a democrat also transgender that's fucking awesome um, also Massachusetts uh, upheld the uh, 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 transgender protections, the the basically anti-discrimination, uh, bill for 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 transgender people in public spaces that was up for a vote where they had a state question that basically was like uh, should we repeal this you know suggestively and voters overwhelmingly said no don't repeal that which is wonderful because that was a very key thing where if that had that if that had happened that could have very easily led to a cascade effect across the country which isn't to say that there are a lot of protections for trans people in states that. Uh, uh, are a little bit further south and west, but uh, it could have gotten worse because a lot of in a lot of places it's just straight up not codified. Or like here in my my wonderful home state of Oklahoma, uh, we we still have like uh, uh, gay panic defenses on the books, which are frequently used for transgender people. Uh, that's not great. Anyway, it was a good it was a good election. A lot of people feel like it wasn't as good as it could have been and I guess in terms of uh, results that's true. But we can't we can't expect the world to change overnight and you know, we got to take what we get, but it was it was good. The statistics are good. Turnout was amazing. Uh the districts that voted uh right wing um pretty much all over the country have now become Highly contested in ways that we've we've really not seen before. Um, oh, fucking Florida enfranchised, uh, what was it, like 3 million voters by uh, giving felons the right to vote? That's amazing. I can't believe that that happened in Florida, of all places. That seems that we need that all over the country. Uh, generally, we just need voter reform. Uh, of course, the Republicans do not want this. Uh, they've been working uh, to 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 decrease voter turnout for decades because, of course, uh, old dying people are the ones who tend to vote Republican because they don't have to deal with the, the consequences of their uh, capitalist consumption of all resources on this earth. Uh, and so they're just trying to make it so that only old people vote and care about politics. So I've got to move on from the midterms, but I just want to highlight, uh, why is this good? Well, uh, I mean, obviously, like, more people voting is good. Uh, More people voting Democrat is good. It's not as good as it could be. Uh, We could be a socialist utopia right now. Um, uh, We're not there yet. We might never get there yet. Uh, You know, it... Here's here's my takeaway. Um, Again, you know, a few weeks ago, I was feeling pretty hopeless. I still got some strains of hopelessness in me. Uh, There's the looming specter of climate change. There's the rising tide of fascism all across the world. There's good old Bolsonaro elected in uh, Brazil. Who is not good. People been killed in the streets already. It's a bad scene. That's a flippant way to describe that. It's fucking awful. It's a goddamn human rights violation. It's bad. It's bad. It's historically terrible. We got some bad things going on here in the States, and you probably know about most of them. But here's the thing. We're putting up some resistance. People are activating, uh, which is a weird way to put it. And there's always the fear that, like, come the point when, uh, uh, say, in a hypothetical 2020 election, we vote uh, Trump out of office. uh, People are like, we did it. All right, we did it. We won. Uh, No, we haven't. Not at that point. The thing about politics is that you got to be involved from beginning to end, it doesn't stop at presidential elections it doesn't stop at midterms it doesn't stop at calling representatives uh it doesn't stop anywhere because everything is political. obviously take breaks, but you know you should be involved in your community, et cetera et cetera But there's a tendency to feel like, all right, here's all the signs that this is, we've got this rising tide of fascism, America's becoming a fascist state, everything's terrible, oh God, we're all going to die. And we compare it to previous uprisings of fascism all across the world, and we see it as a trend that is unavoidable. Like, it's, it's happened before, it's happening again, what can we do about it? And you know in that line of comparison it's easy to lose hope and feel like okay well we're screwed but this is the thing is that just because it's happened before doesn't mean it has to happen again and this midterm is a pretty big counterstatement to the rise of fascism in the united states it's not good enough we need more we need so much more but it's it's a good fucking sign. And there's also been a very welcome show of support of transgender people on, on the national stage here that uh, uh, hopefully is a sign of things to come because there are times when it definitely feels like we're heading towards some bad Bad times. I won't elaborate on those because I've done so in the past and we got to move on. But uh, if you voted, thank you. All right. Moving on to reader questions. And yes, you're all readers because you're critically engaging in this podcast where I talk about stuff, I guess. (laughs) This is from Sarah, but without the age. Hi, I've been enjoying your podcast and YouTube channel for a couple months now, and I wanted to send you an email to tell you that I really appreciated something you said in your November 5th podcast. You said, cis people don't generally question their gender for years. That really clicked with me. Yes, I say that quite a bit. I'm an AFAB person, and I've been calling myself a queer woman for some years. Uh, AFAB, by the BT dubs, for those of you who don't know, uh, stands for Assigned Female at Birth. When I was in high school, I thought I was a trans man, but then I put that idea into the back of my mind. The last year or so, I've been struggling with my gender again. I'm 35 and married with children. My husband is supportive of wherever I land in terms of gender. That's good. That's really good that your husband is supportive. So, uh, your question... I've noticed that some non-binary people call themselves trans. What do you think about that? Does not cis equal trans? Also, do you recommend any resources for those who are questioning and want to find some clarity? Thank you, Sarah, without the H. So, the deal here, in my opinion, is that... uh, So, yeah, some non-binary people call themselves trans. That really depends upon the individual. Uh I know some uh I, I know some non-binary people who don't accept the label of trans. I know some who do. Uh transgender as a term means simply, um, if we look at the prefix trans, it just means going across. So if you're taking a transcontinental flight, you're flying from one continent to another. Whereas if you were taking a ciscontinental flight, you're taking a flight from one destination to another within the same continent. So transgender itself does not... I mean, by virtue of the way that I just described it, it does imply uh, two separate poles, but in terms of usage, all that it, I think socially colloquially it, it it generally in my in my mind at least, just sort of means um, not identified with the gender that you were assigned at birth. And you know I I, I say I, I, I identify as gender queer, but I also just sort of identify as a transgender person. That's sort of how I describe myself because I fall somewhere in there, but I'm still not sure where yet. So I'm just kind of here and I sort of call myself transgender and I might be non-binary. I don't know, but uh, it's just easier for me to just say transgender or gender queer. And it, the thing about all these categories and words is that they're not scientific. Uh, They're linguistic. They're sociological. Uh, they, they describe very real phenomena uh, for psychologically, experientially, but there is no criterion for for like non-binary that you can list that encompasses all non-binary people because it's it's a subjective experience. So w- w- when we get into these conversations about definitional specificity. I think there is a point at which, you know, we ought to draw boundaries and say, like, okay, well, if 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 not cis equals trans, then what's the distinction between transgender and non-binary? And it's just it's just degrees of specificity. Like you can be a binary transgender person or a non-binary transgender person. It just it just depends on how you want to use the terms and like what they mean for you. Um, now there are certain terms that have very specific connotations and meanings in different communities and you wouldn't want, like, you can't just say, oh, I identify as two spirit because that feels like that, uh, qu- that, that describes my experience. It doesn't really matter if it does you know, describe your experience because that you're appropriating Native American culture there. And that's a very specific example that's very obvious, but there are a lot of examples that are by no means as obvious. And my feeling also is that like a lot of these labels are just things that you're trying on um, and, and, you know... as I've said many times in this podcast, you know, I thought I was gay for a long time. I tried that on. I lived it for a while and it just never felt right. And I just sort of cycled through all of these different identities until I got to where I am today. It sounds like you're doing a little bit of the same where you've I called yourself a queer woman for, excuse me, some years, and now you're struggling with your gender again. It just, it's, we can't think of these things as like rigid definitional categories. They're sort of vague suggestions. That are attempting inadequately to describe psychological experiential phenomena, and we shouldn't get too caught up in like the uh, the, the linguistics, like the, the the semantics of these things, unless you want to. It's fine. It's fine if you want to, but when it comes to like actually, like there's a difference between the like sort of philosophical contrapoints esque conversation, like debate, like the dialectical approach of, uh, uh, well, what does this actually mean materially in society? But then there's just the fact like, this is your psychological reality and this word helps describe that. And it's, it's fine. You don't have to have like this whole framework necessarily. As far as resources for those who are questioning and want to find some clarity. Um, I, I have some that I'm going to email to you and I'll put them in the, I'll, I'll run through them real quick right now and put them in the description of this podcast but uh, it's it's worth noting that I, I I don't know the experience of being a trans man. So I can't speak to that experience. And it's also not something that I have done a lot of research on because again, a lot of the a lot of the research that I've done, a lot of the articles that I have like tabbed and and bookmarked, are things that I looked up whenever I was still more uh, openly, broadly questioning. So there are things that more directly relate to my personal experience. So I can't necessarily speak to... Uh, things that things that speak to the uh, the, uh, the, the the transgender man uh, experience, the, the questioning of 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 maleness in that way. But you have a couple of things from website Everyday Feminism. Here's one that's uh, six affirmations for trans folks who don't feel trans enough, and this is by Sam Dylan Finch, who is a trans man. Actually, that's interesting. I didn't uh, didn't plan that, but there you go. Uh, this is a pretty good article. Um, that's just sort of some general, uh, looking, basically saying a lot of the things that I say before, have, have said before, uh, the idea that, you know, you don't have to suffer, that you're not, you know, dysphoria isn't a, uh, necessary factor in order to be transgender, Uh, So this is this is just some good like affirmations and sort of things. Again, you know, it's it's an infuriatingly subjective experience, and it's hard to arrive at a conclusion. Also, say another resource in early episodes of this podcast, maybe because uh, that is when, again, I was more openly, broadly questioning and working through a lot of the thoughts that it seems like maybe you're having, Sarah. Uh, this is another thing from uh, Everyday Feminism that is titled You Can Still Be Transgender If You Don't Feel Physical Dysphoria. It's by Ronnie Ritchie. It's a comic, actually. Um, and it is uh, quite good. It was It's helpful to me in terms of understanding, like, you know, you don't need to suffer in order to, to feel qualified as a transgender person. Uh, I have a Reddit thread here that is from a couple of years ago that is uh, just who else on here didn't know they were trans until a later age. And this is a uh, good thread because it's one of those where it's just a lot of people chiming in with their experience as like older people. And by older, I mean, like a lot of them are like in their late 20s, early 30s that uh, uh, is really good. It's it's I always find it nice to read, um, I, I always find it nice to read these sorts of like personal, Testimonials, I guess, because it's like oh, there's a variety of different experiences, and I identify with some of these. I don't identify with others, but it makes you feel like okay, I'm not so I'm not so weird. Um, and then this one is not necessarily relevant based on what you've described, but I'm going to share it anyway because I find it. Um, I, I found it useful to me. This one's also written by Sam Dylan Finch. That's fun. Uh, this this it, it's an article called uh, "Trauma and Transness: Why I Didn't Always Know I Was Transgender." I think you can guess from that title w- what the gist of it is. I'm going to send you those, um, and I'm going to put them in the description of this podcast. And uh, I if 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 people have better resources. For these types of things, this is, again, not an issue that I've had to deal with in a while. Uh, Specifically for for resources for trans men, please uh, shoot me a message on Twitter at transqpodcast or send me an email, transquestioningpodcast gmail.com. Links to those are in the description, etc. Next email is a long one, and I've debated whether or not to read it, but it is a very very good very good email that uh is a story that i can't really speak a lot to and i think it's good to have it here so i'm going to read it verbatim and uh we're we're already going long i know but that's this is just the world that we live in you know it's a uh, it's a it's an unconventional world so this is from ash Uh, Hi, I enjoy your podcast and I thought I would introduce myself. I'm probably much older than pretty much anyone else listening or anyone participating in podcasts in any way except possibly Dan Carlin or Robert M. Price. I'm pretty sure I am some shade of trans and have been aware of it for some time, probably since childhood. Not that I was particularly feminine or in any way fabulous or had inborn fashion sense or anything like that. Just a vague sense that my whole mindset and way of being in the world diverged markedly from every other male person that I knew. The first sense that I was something other than an absolute freak of nature was being around for a very special episode of All in the Family in which they dealt with gay people and attendant stereotypes. I told you I was old. I was confused it was confused and confusing like almost all attempts to communicate information like this in that benighted era but probably pretty woke by the standards of the time. For example, at the time, there was a brief fad for some chair-lifting exercise that only women could do properly. Somehow, this proved women's lib or something. Archie implied that Meathead's not-so-conventionally-masculine friend could do it. Mike replied that one of Archie's friends, a big football player guy who was secretly gay, it turned out, could pick up the chair and dance around with it. Being about seven and not understanding that this was not literal, I took away the message that there were male people who were a lot like women and Maybe I was one. Interesting how we uh, interpret those those sorts of messages, isn't it? When we're young. Shortly after, I heard about sex change and thought, someday, I will look into that. Again, I didn't really get what was involved, and my concept of it probably was more like a family guy cutaway than anything in reality. I started again thinking along these lines in my early to mid-teens. In my AP English class, we were reading Twelfth Night, in which one of the female characters poses as a eunuch, and for that, they had to explain what a eunuch was. While I did not like the idea of the procedure as such, the idea of not going through male puberty had appeal. I was a late bloomer in that way and I didn't really go through puberty until I was around 16 and was regularly taken for female until I was about 18 or 19. Keep in mind that the day-to-day dress code, jeans, t-shirts and sneakers of that era was pretty unisex. Anyway, somehow it prompted me to gather real information on the trans phenomena or transsexualism as it was called in the already outdated books that were available. I knew that I was somehow adjacent to this. I think my friends, most of whom were girls, also knew somehow and would make comments and jokes sort of trying to out me to myself. I was too terrified to really say or do anything about it, except I became one of the more enthusiastic Rocky Horror fans." Just a normal straight cis guy having fun. Nothing to see here. Nope. Yep. Nothing to see there. Nothing just to move on long. Yep. (laughs) Which brings up another thing. When I was a tiny child, I was told that only girls had long hair. Them and later on hippies, who were bad because you couldn't tell if they were boys or girls. But suddenly in the mid-70s, it was okay for boys to have long hair. I jumped on the opportunity. Somewhere in the back of my mind was the sense that maybe it would make me a girl. There were several things that pushed me the rest of the way back in. First, I started to enjoy working out and developing my male physique. I could not possibly be trans if I enjoyed that, right? No body dysphoria here. I think there actually is some merit to this line of thought, but I've come to realize that I was looking at it as a sort of art project, and I didn't really feel a connection to my body as being, well, me. Then there was encountering the original TERF manifesto, The Transsexual Empire, in the course of my personal research. I wasn't sure she was right, but I also saw that the situation was even more complicated than I thought, and even if I succeeded in getting through all this other daunting stuff, I would still never be accepted as a woman even by women. Finally, there was the AIDS epidemic. I did not view myself as gay, but many of my friends, especially through Rocky Horror fandom and adjacent subcultures, were, and they started to die. People in their 20s suddenly stopped showing up, and then a few months later, you would get invited to a funeral. I was terrified, and I started getting religious. Fast forward through about 10 years in a Christian cult, during which I thought God had taken away all that craziness. A crash into a major depressive episode after which I discovered transgender on the internet. I decided it was attractive, but I felt by this time that I was too large-slash-ugly-slash-old-slash-hairy to pass. So here I am today. My probably controversial decision? The price is too high. I have a good life, and my rational decision is self-knowledge without action. But I still like hearing or reading about other people who make the journey and come out the other side. Thanks for listening. Ash. So I've read this email over four or five times and it floors me every time. You've had, it seems like a really, really interesting life. And I know you probably don't think of your own life as interesting, but it's it's clear that you've gone through a lot. And honestly, I'm not qualified to give any kind of advice. I... Th- 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 there's there's so little that i could say here i did track down an uh, a profile on the huffington post that was about a person who transitioned to female at the age of 70 and i'm going to send that to you and i'm going to post this also in the description here and uh, i think that that's worth reading over Ash, because, you know, I can't I can't speak to so much of your experience. And I know that the pressure, the the possibility of transitioning is just overwhelming because, you know, I'm 29 and I already feel like, oh, God, there's so much that I've fucked up by waiting this long to start transitioning. I can only imagine what it would be like uh someone your age and the, the world isn't kind as I said earlier in this episode the world isn't kind to older people in a lot of ways and especially if you make yourself visible in the way that this would inevitably do. But I would say that it's not impossible. I see a lot of people on uh trans timelines on Reddit who are much older who transition and actually, See very good results, but but the the results aren't really relevant. Like it doesn't matter if you pass. None of that. None of that. Assuming the passing is even the goal, right? But none of that really matters. I mean, obviously you know your situation. Only you can make the judgment of of whether or not it's feasible for you. But I just want to suggest that. So okay, you insist that you have a good life, but this is also something that you've found yourself thinking about constantly for decades. And I wonder how much better your life might be if you did decide to transition. I also find it interesting that you're sending this to me from an email address that is uh, uh, Ashley that you've you know you've got your female name and you've created an email account for that name. You say the price is too high. But what's the price of finding yourself 20, 30 years from now feeling regret at at not having done this for yourself? And I'm sure you've thought about this a million times. That's my greatest fear is is having the opportunity to try to do something and then choosing not to do it out of a sense of like pragmatic avoidance and then ultimately regretting that choice. And it's a hard choice. It's, 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 it's a painful and difficult process. And it seems like it just gets harder and harder with every year that, that, that goes by. But I can tell you from where I am now that the, the, the affirmation that I have felt, the, the sense of self-worth that I've gotten from it is just, it's, it's better than I could have hoped. In so many different ways, and it's not easy a lot of the times, but I would I would take that over just about anything, you know. uh, Certainly over the alternative. I'm a naturally hairy person myself, and I was overweight, and like there's no you say like too too large slash ugly slash old slash hairy. All of these are things that I talked about in a video that I did uh almost exactly a year ago. And these are things that were a huge barrier for me to seeing myself as transgender and and eventually transitioning. This is the thing that these are not immutable features. Like you can shave. I shave my back, I shave my entire body. It's not it's frustrating sometimes, but it's not that big a deal. Like there's you can get like a back Uh, uh, a razor that is like an electric razor. Um, You can you can lose weight. Um, It's it's not easy. I did it through diet. Uh, I did it through keto, which there's uh, there's no diet. People are fucking it's basically its own set of cults that are in constant competition. I don't care. I know it works for me. Is it healthy? I don't know. It's healthier than the alternative i mean if if you were to decide to uh to, to start transitioning, if you were to decide to start h r t for example i've been on for five months five or six, and i've already noticed that my uh my back hair is is much thinner, a little bit more uh vellous. so that's one of the, my biggest like, dysphoric triggers, and it's more or less uh, not gone away. I still have to, to groom, but it's in the process of going away. Um, and I felt better about like actually maintaining my body and I've gotten closer to my body. And I found that once I came out, it was much easier for me to, to stick to a diet and make myself lose weight because I wanted to take care of myself. Um, cause I, I, I up until I came out, I didn't, I just assumed that I would not live, uh, uh, Much longer, you know, I just assumed that there would eventually come a point where it's like, well, nothing else is going on. That's convenient. I guess I'm just going to check out now. So, again, only, you know, your position. And I'm just a kid talking to an adult. Like, you know, your experience and um, I'm probably full of shit, but it's not impossible. And, you know, maybe maybe it would be worth it. I don't know. Is the price too high? W- what is the price? Is it alienating friends and family? I mean, is, is, is the well being of other people, like, is the opinion of other people more important than your sense of like ownership of your body, your sense of like self being, fixing this thing that, that has bugged you for, for so long? Is it worth potentially regretting not doing anything about that just so that other people don't feel uncomfortable? Their comfortability isn't more important than your sense of like bodily ownership. I've said this before on the podcast too, but again, I'm probably full of shit and you're the, you're the only person who knows your own life. Um, and you insist that you have a good life and I'm sure that that's true. Uh, so whatever the case may be, uh, thank you for sending me this email. I really, truly do. Um, I, I, I appreciate you sharing your your experience, and it's, uh, it's enlightening. All right, I'm going to try to keep this next bit short because we're going a bit long, but that's fine. You know, it's, this is my podcast, and you can't stop me. Anyway, it's just some personal updates. Thanksgiving's coming up, and it's going to be a big one. It's actually something that I've been looking forward to for a while, and I'm worried slash excited about it. It's going to be the first time that me, my brother, and my sister have all been in the same place since 2014, I think. Uh, It's been a while, and we haven't been in the same place very many times in our lives. Uh, certainly not with me. I was born like 10 years after they were. So they were, they graduated high school and moved out by the time I was four. So we have sort of a weird relationship. Um, I was, I was, I was an only child with two siblings. It's strange. Um But more importantly than that, it's going to be the first time that I'm really spending time with them as Sarah and that's a that's an easy thing to just sort of say like oh I'm the same person I'm just Sarah now but I have qualitatively changed in a number of ways I, I there was there was a night where I was texting a friend and sort of like going on this wild realization of like oh I am going to be a part of conversations now I'm actually going to be in the same room as them I'm going to be there because I'm Here now, I I feel like I'm a part of the world in a way that I never did before, and I I, I've always struggled with conversations with them because I just you know when you're when when you don't when you don't feel comfortable with your body when you feel like you're not situated in yourself correctly you have a really hard time situating yourself with other people and and having you have a hard time connecting with them so. Yeah, conversations like relationships in general are tough. It's a big part of why all of my relationships in the past have sort of crashed and burned. And it's just—it's exciting. It's exciting to be in the same room as all of them and 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 finally, f- finally feel like I'm a member of the family. And 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 for them to actually. See me, see my personality see me as something other than this fucking depressed like moody child that I've been for the last 28 years I don't know i, I it's it's exciting. I'm gonna be crying a lot. It's also gonna be very close to the 10 year anniversary of our mom's death uh, so it's tough and and it's approaching the point at which I'm graduating college fucking finally. so it's a big. Big time. It's it's going to be big. It's going to be very emotional. I'm going to be crying through a lot of it. I was talking to my sister-in-law about this, and I said, just fair warning, I'm probably going to be crying a lot through this. And she took that to mean that I'm going to be openly weeping and sobbing, and she sort of freaked out and thought, oh, it's a whole thing. Turned into a whole thing. I don't have time to get into it, but it was resolved. It's fine. When I say crying, I just mean like, you know, sort of a tier or two. Because I actually have a healthy range of emotions now. Like somebody can say something that's really emotionally affecting and I can be like, oh, and sort of like let out a couple of tears and then be okay. It used to be the feeling emotions was fucking painful and I had to force myself to let them out and it, it would wreck me for days. And now it's like the gears are greased. Everything works more or less. Still working through a lot of shit, but here I am. So it's exciting. It's exciting. It's terrifying. I'm excited to be a sister to them. I'm excited for them to to have a sister in me. It's going to be a time. It's going to be a time. The other thing is I'm working on a video right now that's a sequel to the uh, the the I guess coming out video that I talked about just a minute ago when I was addressing Ash's story that uh, has basically it's taken on a life of its own and it's this ridiculous project that is going to alienate people I'm pretty sure because it's very cerebral it's very it's meant to be confrontational and it's about um, it's tentatively titled In Transition, and it is about being in the process of transitioning and what it means to transition. Um, and it's also an expression of a lot of pain and fear and doubt and all of these things. And it's meant to coalesce into some sort of catharsis. I don't know what that looks like yet because I haven't quite gotten that far. Uh, I have a lot of different pieces that I've assembled. I've cut together a rough cut of one of the five acts. Um, but I'm collaborating with people. This is the first time in my YouTube career that I'm actually really collaborating with people for my video essays. Uh, so pre- both of them are people who've been on the show. Uh, Molly dot is making music for me. Uh, May Leitz has uh, been fantastic enough to basically answer some really invasive questions for me and record her reactions and then shoot footage of her around her house. And I've been editing that together Um and it's, it's, it's going to be something powerful uh, and potentially very painful and very alienating for a lot of people, and I'm very excited for it to be finished. Uh, I was hoping that it would be out by the end of November, but it's looking like that's probably not going to be the case. So I'm kind of scrambling to find another subject for a video to release in November because people on my Patreon paid my fucking rent this month my rent plus sum i am floored by that fact people give me enough money that i can pay my rent right now granted my rent is ridiculously low because i'm i live in oklahoma where the cost of living is microscopic and i'm splitting a three bedroom house with four people so it's you know it's 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 a lot cheaper than it would be in a lot of places but it's still it's it's a big thing for me. It's I mean it's it's it'd be a big thing for anybody. So speaking of that, if you like what I do here and you want to support me doing more of it, go on over to patreon.com slash ltas, But just to give me as little as a dollar a month everybody gets access to a 30 minute exclusive video essay plus a bunch of other little fun things and updates about what i'm doing 5 dollar patrons get access to notes and scripts and a couple of uh, podcast things uh there's a i think a 15 minute segment of my conversation with Shannon Sturchy that didn't make it into the episode proper there's all kinds of good stuff over there on patreon it's also a good place to keep up with my uh, my various projects and things. I post updates there pretty frequently and really like just a dollar a month helps quite a bit. Uh, there's also, I also have a, a, a coffee Kofi. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's K O Uh I have one of those. If you just want to do a one-time donation, um, I believe I've put the link to the link to that in the description here, but I believe it's k like, o dash uh, dot slash Sarah Z. Sure, there you go. You can find me on Twitter at HMSNoFun and at transq podcast. The latter are just basically straight up updates about the podcast HMSNoFun no Fun is my personal Twitter where I just go bananas about uh <laughs> homestuck lately is what I've been tweeting about um i uh so I, may may Leitz has been doing live streams of the Sims and there was a, a fun bit of development where there was a character introduced called the fuck clown and it was hilarious and i've actually started editing this live stream into episodes uh i've been uh uh, i've i've been tapped as the official editor for the 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 nix streams uh channel i guess i don't we'll we'll see if that sticks but uh, it's gonna—it's it's really funny, but uh, just by virtue of like the lighting, I don't know. There are just a ton of Homestuck references in the chat as I'm editing this, and so I'm keeping tally, and I'm gonna make it a thing—a bunch of little fun little uh, uh, Easter eggs for Homestuck fans who watch these videos. Um, it's great because it made hasn't read homestuck most people that i know haven't read homestuck and so i'm slowly indoctrinating them i'm teaching them a thing or two about fuckable clowns anyway uh twitter hms no fun uh it's a good time for our all and sundry uh let's see cover artist by emily bumgarner the music that's yours by insane in the rain music links to everything in the description as always I didn't really do an outro for this episode. I just sort of segued straight into the Patreon thing. Whatever, that's fine. Sometimes episodes just end.